Welcome to the Natural Hub Podcast. We bring awareness to sustainable health in a business hustle space. Natural Hub Podcast is perfect for the high-performing business-minded individuals who want to work with their biochemistry to achieve success and optimal health. It's Friday, which means it's time for French Shank Facts About Health, Business and Overall Success. In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Sean Sullivan. Dr. Sean Sullivan is a licensed clinical psychologist and founder and CEO of One Perfect, an enterprise mental health and wellness platform that delivers personalized mindset shifting experiences called shifts. Dr. Sullivan began his formal psychology education at Harvard University and completed it with a psychology residency at the University of Texas Health Services Center and postdoctoral training based at the University of California, San Francisco. He has since been featured extensively in national and international publications, including the New York Times, Forbes, Huffington Post, to just name a few. Dr. Sullivan's clinical research focuses on applying technology to improve mental health, particularly by teaching anyone how to shift their state of mind on demand. As a psychotherapist, for over 20 years, he has written popular psychology books and articles and created countless digital mental health, wellness, and peak performance psychology courses, apps, tools, and virtual reality treatments. Dr. Sullivan believes teaching shifting is the best way to address the massive U.S. and worldwide mental health and unhappiness crisis we currently face and would love to introduce the concept to our, to us. Some fun facts about Dr. Sullivan is he lived he has lived in a tiny beach hut for the last eight years. His dad was a professional tennis player and Billy Jean King's mixed doubles partner. Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast, Dr. Sullivan. Thank you, Mahir. Tell me about this tiny hut. I mean, are you there now? Like, uh, what, just, what made you just go, I'm going to live in a tiny hut? That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I found for myself. So, yes, the answer is I am there right now, and I've been living and working here for eight years now, and I love it. It turns out I really like living and working out of a small space. It keeps me focused. Um, and I'm in the middle of a beautiful spot, so it overlooks the Pacific Ocean. It's at a place called Muir Beach, and it's in a 500-acre um, national park also. So it, the, looking out of the hut, it's, a, it's just beautiful. It's a gorgeous spot. Wow, that sounds absolutely amazing. So what was the shift? <laughs> Get a shift, what we're talking about today. What was the shift that went, I'm just going to live in a hut? Like, were you living in the city and you just decided, or...? That's such a good question. Yeah, it was. I found for myself that um, one memory is when I would fly on an airplane. I was so um, I, I just loved being there and working in that little space. And I thought this is very comfortable. Maybe I would like a small place. And I had to move at one point because the place I was living was changing hands. And so this opportunity came up. And I had been jogging over that mountain for years and saw this sort of beautiful area, so I knew of it and thought, oh, I'll, I'll give it a try and um, see how I like it. And eight years later, we're here. Uh, I could I could go on and on about that. There, There's a llama who lives here. There are baby ghosts. There are chickens. It's just a, it's a little fantasy land, and it really sinks well to – um, you know how I see life, how how I like to to live life. It's a it's a little fairy tale, and I, I've um, I heard the line one time from a Zen monk. She said, "If you're not in awe, you're distracted." And this environment, it um, it reminds me of that in a very regular basis. So, I guess all of that, all of that stuff. 
Yeah, how beautiful is that? And it's interesting because a lot of individuals being on a plane would be like, oh my gosh, yeah. I couldn't think of anything worse, yeah. being constricted. Uh-huh. But you're saying that's what makes you be clearer. Yeah, you know, I was very interested in spending a lot of time in the kind of work that I do, mindfulness, uh, meditation, and turned into this concept of shifting, which is the idea of navigating into a state of mind intentionally. And so, yeah, that's where the focus of my my time and my work was at the time. And so that probably made me think, oh, this is a, a nice environment to do that from for a while. And then a while has, it just turned into something I really love. And then you're staying there. Yeah. And you wouldn't have lots of things, I'm guessing, um, because it's little and therefore there's no attachments. That's it. That's it. I mean, so so maybe that's sort of the deeper message of, of what is attractive to me about it. But yes, it keeps your life very simple by, um, by necessity. It's just um, 90 square feet on the inside and the outside. It's, you know, all, all the rest of the world. But um, yeah, it forces you to to keep very few belongings and um, be intentional about what you bring into your environment. Yeah. How I like about that, you to over there? Do you have a space that you love to be in? Yeah. Well, I live near the beach. Um, so absolutely love going there daily, mm-hmm. uh, just grounding, just watching the waves and just watching time pass by. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually one of my favorite spots that you say that is my dog usually lays on the bed and watches the world go past. So whenever I'm a bit stressed out, I just lay with her on the bed and just watch the world pass by and I go, what, the, what a wonderful world this dog has. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember. It's interesting. You know, Eckhart Tolle, I'm sure, has, I've heard him say before that his cats are his best teachers. Yeah, it's so true. A hundred percent. I mean, um, my dog just taught me so much to just sit calm and just be, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here based on what I hope to talk to you about a little bit, but that idea of you know, we're talking about it as an animal, but another person who is present, which is essentially what an animal is when they're watching the world go by, is an incredible way to shift yourself into presence. It's just to be with someone who's present. It's, um, I think of other humans as our best drug, basically. Um, we never think of it that way, but it's true that when someone comes into your life, into the moment that you're in and you sit with them, um, and they're present, then it's really natural for you to kind of accommodate for, for lots of physiological reasons that we know, but just more importantly, the experience of it is so natural. Yeah, you're so right. And I can just imagine the audience is listening being like, hmm, I remember that time that I hung out with whoever their mate was or someone that they know that just is in the moment. They're like, yeah, that feels at peace. That feels good. And you're, you're, you're let us know now, like why that is, you know, which is, um, amazing. And yeah, it doesn't have to be a human. It can be, can be an animal. <laughs> I mean, animal can be a human. Yeah. The, the, um, I don't know, I'm sure your or some of your audience has heard of this idea of the mirror neurons, which means that you're picking up what you're communicating with in a literal sense inside your brain, your brain's train changing, not only because you're doing that, but in the, in the moment, it's also changing to map onto the experience of the person that you're communicating with. And so, so that's one, one reason from a sort of physiological point of view, why you get that feeling of presence when you're with 
a being, let's say, in presence. Yeah, we we kind of want to mirror them, don't we? And it's quite interesting that you say that because as I interview individuals on the Natural Health Podcast, um, if they're stressed out or anything, I just try and be calm to bring them back to you know calmness and it's okay and level and you see them just drop into um calmness which is amazing um so yeah the mirror neurons work yeah that that concept actually i think is an incredibly powerful concept and it, it took me a long time to see that reality which is that it's really actually easy to come into the present moment provided that you're guided in the right way and the right way might be sitting with your cat or sitting with your dog or you and I sitting with each other what we've come to find with this these this product shifts that we provide for people is that over 90% of people even the first time are able with the guided experience, meaning, you know, just listening to audio for five minutes, the right sequence, given where they are and where they want to go, they're able to make that shift. And as a psychologist, it was really surprising to me that it was that easy. I thought, oh, this is going to be a hard thing to teach and people won't get it. And just an audio of five minutes is not going to do it. And now not only have we collected data for a couple of years showing that over 90% are able to do it, but you've seen a lot of research in the last couple of years come out that is showing that five minutes a day of this stuff is having major impacts on people's lives. It's changing your brain. And, uh, and it, it, to me, the most important thing is if you know you're only a few minutes away from a better state of mind in at any moment, that's power really in your life. It totally changes the way you deal with incoming stress. What a beautiful concept that you're just, you know, minutes away from the state that you want to be in. That's calm. Before we go into a little bit more detail about that, because I can't wait to dig into it, let's find out what got you into psychology? What got you into uh, where you are now? What's the story, Sean? Yeah, let's see. So you mentioned in the intro my father is was a professional tennis player, very, very high level. And um, he was my tennis coach. I never got to that level. I, I played professional tennis for one year, but it didn't become my uh, profession. But I would say that's the starting place for me for psychology. And really this, this concept that we're talking about today of shifting, I think even though the language wasn't used in that way between us when he was coaching me, it, it evolved from that because what you're doing in sport – typically is getting yourself into the state of mind and the state of body um, to compete at the level that you want to compete at. And what I found, um, so that's sort of one influence that got me into psychology. And then I, of course, had my emotional challenges during college that brought me into a therapy office for the first time. And so I got to see mental health from that side of the couch, let's say, and saw how helpful it could be. But I also saw that the the concepts are very much the same of performance psychology versus sort of mental health psychology so the way that and that that came over time with training and going to grad school and, and learning and practicing but the insight that you know if you're struggling with your mental health you might think of it as shifting from bad to good and if you're trying to do well in performance or you need to get motivated you can think of it as moving from good to great but those shifts entail the same mechanism, the same process 
of changing the way that your mind is behaving is going to change the way that you feel over a couple minutes. So I think those were the those were some of the major influences that got me into this. And I just happen to love it for whatever reason. You know? Yeah. I mean, who would have thought tennis would get you to where you are now? Um, interesting. And, mm. you know, sometimes things come into our life and they are not our future. I mean, you're not didn't want didn't go ahead and be the professional tennis player, so forth. But it's helped you lead you to a path that's where you are now. That's it. That's such a great point, Mahela. I, I'm sure it's true in your life and to everyone listening. And it's a great reminder that the journey is not the journey of each of our lives, living your purpose, allowing your life to flow through you is a process of, of following in a lot of ways. It's not this thing where you just plan it out and it happens. And if that does happen for you, oh, that's a little bit more boring probably than having some surprises in your life. But this, all of these lessons that we learn come into clarity in retrospect, don't they, looking back? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So did you continue then and do psychology in the clinic face-to-face, -face, or where did that lead you? Yeah, so I, I did graduate school in psychology and did all the training and um, ended up in maybe a dozen-plus different settings to do psychotherapy and different kinds of psychology, and then came out to San Francisco to finish up to the degree, which means do a postdoc so you can get your um, credentials to practice alone. And during all of that time, I was very focused um, on research, all, all, the practice, but also the research on the application of technology to psychology. Because when I started 20 years ago, it looked like in the next course of this career, technology was going to become a part of um, mental health treatment. And yeah, there's a lot of things that happened that I didn't foresee back then, like podcasts, for example. This is really a, a wellness, a mental health prevention tool that we didn't have back then. Um, but there, were, there was a lot of evidence that technology could be very helpful. And so I spent a lot of time researching how it might be helpful and building apps and um, courses, online courses, writing books, and um, just and actually using them in my practice with patients after I did finish and became a psychologist. I started a private practice and um, would work with people in traditional therapy. And then in between sessions, would give them tools to use based on what they were working on. And um, and actually, ultimately, that did lead to this, this concept of shifts because what I found was that the first five minutes of a therapy session, it's true of a coaching session, it's probably true of a podcast, even an interview, is what happens is you sit down with someone and there's an intention, of course, you know, if it's a patient, you have a treatment plan and you're working on something. But um, inevitably, the first five to 10 minutes is about what's going on today for you. And let's connect and let's come into a state of mind and body where we can do constructive, productive work together. And what that meant was coming into a state of presence where you bring the anxiety down and you're then able to direct your attention intentionally on on whatever that that um, topic is you want to focus on. And um, that's a pretty natural thing. If you're doing any of these activities, I think it for most people it just happens, happens in the background, right? Because the intention is implicit. But what I saw was that that skill of being able to do that for yourself or for someone else is the foundation of good mental health. If you can, if you know you can shift your state of mind in five minutes, 
then whenever some stress comes into your life, um, it you treat it totally differently than before you knew that about yourself. Yeah, it's so interesting. And it goes back to sports, as you were saying, because let's say soccer player, tennis players, whatever sport you want to look at, uh, something else might be happening externally. Maybe someone, um, I don't know, something happens externally, but then when they go on the field, they have to do that shift of mindset and go, no, I'm here to perform um, and here to win that game potentially. Um, so it's interesting that you say that, that but the, and we do that a lot uh, in our lives. We do shift a lot without even noticing um, through school, through relationships, at work, um, even when you're driving, um, uh, we shift, don't we? I think all day long this is happening. And um, actually, it's sort of the foundation of the concept of, of Buddhist meditation, Zen meditation, the concept that change is the only constant. So the only thing that you can rely on in your future is that things will change from how they are right now. And when we talk about change in, in an emotional sense, we're talking about a shifted state of mind and body. So I think you're totally right. If you assess how, how am I feeling right now, how stressed am I feeling right now on a scale of 1 to 10, and you did it 10 times throughout the day, it's going to move around for, for almost everybody. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more. I know we touched upon them. Tell us a little bit more of the creation of shifts and what they are to the audience. That's like, what is this shift, Sean? <laughs> How does it work? Um, and why should I do it? Yeah. So the concept of shifting, as I talked about a little bit, it's, it's um, like mindfulness. It's like meditation, but it's actually a, a more intentional um uh, version of that. So shifting is strategically navigating yourself into a better state of mind whenever you choose to. And it's, it's so really it's the equivalent of regulating your emotional states. So if you're stressed, you want to become unstressed. If you're unmotivated, you want to be able to shift yourself into a flow state. If you're feeling really scattered, you want to bring yourself into presence. And so that's a little bit different than what you would do with mindfulness or meditation, which has a little bit less of a intention of an outcome is kind of baked into those ideas. With this, actually, we have an intention of an outcome. And it's a really important part of the process because you set the intention at the beginning of your five minutes. Um, you say to yourself, for example, uh, I'm feeling anxious and in five minutes, I'm going to be in a more present state of mind. That's my intention. And so when you give yourself an instruction like that and then have a process that can guide you through it um, or you can do it yourself or someone is guiding you through it, then the result we found, as I said, over 90 percent of people end up five minutes later, much closer to that state of mind that they wanted to be in. And um, yeah, I mentioned it evolved out of those first five minutes of therapy or coaching and then it expanded into this idea, oh, okay, if you can come into presence anytime you want, can you shift yourself out of anxiety? Um, a great example for me, a personal example is I was waking up in the middle of the night overnight with this feeling of stress. And I said, I have to, I have to resolve this. It's, it's interfering with my sleep. And so I spent um, time just focused on at that moment, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're feeling stressed, what is that script you can walk yourself through to shift yourself back to sleep? So a shift into sleep. Um, and I just found if you're intentional and strategic about it, 
then it works every time you do it, every time you walk yourself through it, because your brain is, um, your brain functions a certain way and it responds a certain way. Yeah, and I heard a key word there, five minutes. I mean, there's individuals that want to, you know, shift into whatever state they want to be in, but they've never probably heard that they're able to do this in five minutes. They're probably like, okay, well, I need half an hour, an hour a day. I need to do this. I need to do a headstand, spin, all of these things. Gotta learn to all shift. this stuff. Yep, yep. Yeah, but you're saying uh, you if you put an intention through and then listen to the intention for five minutes, that shift, that particular shift, in five minutes your mindset will change. That's extraordinary. Yeah, so this would have been, it was sort of sacrileged as a, as a scientist to, to talk about things this way. Therapy is an hour, meditations are long. Yes. Um, but the, uh, so for, for years that was not something that was sort of a common thing to talk about. And it, the, we've seen in the most recent research, actually, that outside of the research that we've done on shifts, which is demonstrating this, but published empirical research is showing that five minutes um, done regularly is having not only changes to people's state of mind, reported changes in how they feel, but also physiological changes to the brain. And so just in the last year, we've seen that because each time research is done on a shorter period of time, um, they try again and they found 20 minutes. Um, your, your listeners might be familiar with mindfulness-based stress reduction. And so my original training in graduate school was around that. And these are 20-minute sessions. They can be longer, but 20-minute sessions of meditations and mindfulness. And mindfulness-based stress reduction, it's an eight-week treatment for mental health issues typically. It could be also for pain. But um, it's been researched for 40 years, and just about every single mental health um, disorder it's been tested against, it's been shown to be effective. And so I think there was a really nice foundation in the research built from that. That was John Kabat-Zinn at the Center for Mindfulness in um, University of Massachusetts Medical School. And then in the years since then, there's been a lot of experimentation. And, and um, as I said, I was shocked to find that people are really able to do this fairly easily. The challenge is less being able to do it and more actually doing it when you need to do it because it tends to be that when you're stressed, it's very hard to get yourself to do things that are helpful for yourself. Yeah, 100%. So with the shift, so does it look like kind of – because I've gone on and I've listened to a few and they're absolutely amazing – but for individuals who've never heard about it or seen it, so essentially, is it kind of like I'm feeling stressed out, so I jump on the website or the app and, and, and start listening to it? Is it kind of a proactive thing or is it a reactive thing or a bit of both? Yeah, so um, ideally it's proactive. Um, the way that it works in the mobile app right now is that you would open it up and you would identify I'm feeling sad or lonely or um, unmotivated or I need to get to sleep. So any of that range that I talked about from mental health to wellness to performance, couple taps, and then based on your history and based on what you've identified for today, you're getting this shift. This five to 10 minute experience is what it tends to be. That's audio based. It could be video based also. 
and it, it guides you through, um, you know, a sequence in, that in, includes some silences, but really it is bringing you into presence and then it is talking you a bit through the issue that you identified. If you said that you were feeling angry, it's trying to talk you through the best science that we have around how to work with that. And then it's also focusing towards the end on, oh, you're coming out of this in a minute or so. You've spent some time in presence. You have this fresh perspective. Let's take that into the rest of your day and kind of directs you in that way. So it has some components that are uh, some consistent components and then some unique components depending on your needs. And um, the next phase of this, which I was really excited to talk to you about, it entails a live person actually shifting you. So right now in the app, it's all 24-7 digital. You do it anytime you want. Um, we're going to be adding shift therapists so that you can choose live instead of um, digital. And that means um, you get to choose from people who have ratings as shifters, as shift therapists. And you might pick someone who has a background that resonates with you or has struggle with the same things that you have that you feel kind of understood or seen by and you connect with that person live and in five to ten minutes they're taking you through this this shift and we're finding when we look at at that um you know i've been talking about how effective the digital shifts are when you do it with a live person it's like it's supercharged because as i said humans are <laughs> humans are the best drug <laughs> for us yeah, wow. What an amazing addition to it. Um, having an actual human on the other side, yeah. guiding you through whatever you may be going through. That, that's absolutely amazing. What made you decide to add um, the live version? Well, it was really um, the origin of this, as I said, was coming out of therapy and coaching sessions and recognizing how effective that was. And then yeah. um, when I when I saw it worked digitally, I thought that that was great. But there's so much more power in human to human connection. So when you think about um, the value to the shift therapist, in addition to the value to the person who's getting shifted, you're starting to see this sort of network effect of being able to spread this concept and really share it. So the idea of of bringing live people in. Um, kind of counterintuitively, is all about being able to spread it and share it with more people. Yeah, that, that's absolutely amazing. I know my camera's gone off. I'm, I'll fix that up, but we can still continue on. Um, yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I love, um, yeah, actual human beings and the connection that we have as humans and the healing potential we have as another human. Um, well, and I can just imagine... Yeah. You know, the other thing, Mahalo, there that, that I did mention is that there's a lot of research that shows that you don't have to be a therapist or have a, a training or education background in psychology in order to help uh, another person enormously in a short amount of time with uh, intervention, with a brief intervention. Um, over here, I don't know if this is a worldwide term or not, but community-based uh, mental health is something that's become really researched and really popular. It's, it's using volunteers in the community or even paid people in the community that have sort of a specific training in triage or whatever it might be that can help other people in particular situations. And um, that we're building on that concept with this is to say, hey, it helps everyone. We know that um, helping other people helps ourselves. And um, the 
the benefits that you get from shifting on your own are completely amplified if you're teaching someone else or shifting someone else. Yeah, and we've seen that here in Australia also work with um, individuals who've been through things like um, abuse or drugs or even failure in sports or whatever it may look like or failure in their eyes, um, whatever that look like, and then have mentees, so mentors and mentees. That's it. And the effects there are absolutely extraordinary. And I mean, these people haven't been, like you said, trained to be a psychologist or a counsellor but they are healing and helping each other. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you put it that way, it's almost as though the non-training is a benefit because the trust in the person is based on something else, right? It's based on that this person is really here for me and they've been through the things that I'm struggling with. So, yeah, I think there's so much potential there. You know, we have, you touched on at the beginning, this worldwide unhappiness crisis, let's say the, the uh, Gallup reported that we have, I think it's 43% less happy since 2007. So it's not just the pandemic. It's, I mean, this has been going on for a long time. And um, a big part of it seems to be that we're not connected to each other in the same way that we were. And so that's another reason why adding humans um, might be a nice, nice addition to just the technology. Yeah, it's such an interesting concept that we're not as happy as we used to be. And I can just imagine there's so many factors to that and one being um, connected, like you said. Would there, yeah. what, what else would you think, Sean? What else do you reckon that is? Like, is it, is it expectations? Is it what we want out of life? Is it comparison? Like, what, what is it that else that makes us so it's, it's, it's unhappy? A, it's a, it's a multifaceted and tricky one, isn't it? It's, mm. it's, <laughs> um, I think it depends a lot, you know, who you are and where you live, but it's become a very competitive world, I think, because of technology. And so that's pushing people pretty hard. Um, mm. The social media, we know there's an enormous amount of data on the effects that that the negative effects that's having on on people. And so particularly Gen Z, um, this this shift product, we have uh, a partnership with the the. I'm not allowed to say the name, but the largest university system out here in the United States. And so for Gen Mm -hmm. Z, they have, you know, particular challenges that they're coping with that are different than their loneliness, for example, might be a different kind of loneliness than someone that's older. So I think there there are so many um, aspects of it that we could talk all hour about that. But what what about you? What do you see as a... um, you know, a, a component of that loneliness and that unhappiness that's happened. Yeah, it's such an interesting concept because um, loneliness affects us in so many aspects. And me being a naturopath, it's a huge aspect in people's health and overall health. And just by adding in, um, you know, connection or, or responsibility or a goal, the mindset of having a future, I think, assists so much. And a lot of people may not see a future with whatever's happening in their life. For example, if they're in pain, if they're going through whatever disease they may be going through, but as soon as plans are put into place um, and people have something to look forward to, I think that's a huge thing that assists them. Uh, the concept that I love is, I think it's in Northern um, Northern Europe, is 
they have our youngest generation hang out with our oldest generation. And I think it's absolutely beautiful where the old, like, I shouldn't call them oldies, but, you know, people who are retired, um, they look after the kids uh, that parents are working and they teach them a few things. Um, the little kids bring happiness into the older generation and older generation brings in responsibility and guidance and that mentorship. I think that is absolutely beautiful. I mean, if Ooh. that can kind of be introduced and that solves so many things and I think it's absolutely beautiful. Yes, I love that. I totally agree. And in a lot of ways, it parallels what we were just talking about, you know, being able to connect with one other person. And I love that as a potential category, right? You might choose someone who is, to me, as a as a psychologist and a therapist, I often get um, asked by someone for a referral for help with their mental health or for treatment or um, for therapy. And invariably, I will refer to an an old therapist, you know, someone with wisdom, someone who's been doing this for a long time. Um, mm. Not that I'm not old, but they're older than I am. And I, so I so, <laughs> so value that the natural wisdom that comes from experience. So yeah, that, what a, what a cool, I didn't realize that we said that was Northern Europe has become a thing. Yeah. 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 yeah I'll let you know. Um, I'll send you an email afterwards to let you know exactly what I think it's been, I'm not a hundred percent sure, um, but yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And I think, I think as a society, we have forgotten about our older generation. We've just passed them along. They've gone through the stages of life that they've gone through. And now they're there and we're kind of like, oh, well, no one really wants to, you know, hang out with them or do anything, but they have such knowledge and such expertise and they may have the answers that we're looking for, you know? Um, so I think putting them back into our society and including them would solve a lot of, a lot of, um, things that are happening at the moment and not just disregarding them. Uh, I'm, I'm on board with you on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was hearing something <laughs> uh, earlier today about one of the issues is people are living a lot longer now than they used to. So there, that might be another aspect of the reshuffling of how we, how we find our happiness, yeah. we find our happiness or deal with, you know, what loneliness is. Yeah. Like for example, in Australia, most people retire at 65, but the average age is 83. They live. So that's like just 18 years or so under 20 years. What, what, what can, how can we help them live their life to the potential for those 20 years yeah. and how can they help society? These are the questions that we just think about because we have so many baby boomers here in Australia. Um, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and helping them also with their mental health. I think that's key because mental health in the elderly is just extraordinary. Do you agree, Sean? Mental, mental health in general, is, is it better or worse? Um, yes. I mean, to me, the, the, as I said, I'm always referring to people if, you know, if they're therapists and they're still doing it who are older because the wisdom and the peace and the presence that sets in over time of practicing at life if you're doing it in a way that's working for you i think is so compelling and i love this mm, conversation mm. that we're having maybe we need to um maybe we need to think even more about matching you know in shifts older and younger at least you know presenting it as a yeah, valid wow. option right because you're highlighting the fact that these folks that are older and, you know, nowadays 65, 70 is not old, right? Now it's, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of peaking. And so, but you also have time in the case you're talking about if you retired. And so in, in the, the giving back is, 
um, it's a win for everyone. So yeah, I love, I love thinking about it. Yeah. And as, and I'm thinking as an older generation, they're not trying to build anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, they're they're trying to get what they're building. Yeah. 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 And they just want to give back and, um, what they've done. So I think the link of linking, you know, generations together is absolutely amazing and learning from them. I think that's a huge gap. Um, I love that. that. I love that. You know, one of the ways that we, um, are implementing it for universities is actually to have students, um, volunteer and sort of support each other because this other student's lonely. And so the student in the own, uh, their own college seems like a great fit to make them feel a little less lonely. You know, you're local. And, yeah. and so that's one way to think about it, but I love this. I love this, this, uh, additional idea of saying, Hey, you know, there's this resource of these people who have lived 80 years who might have an interesting perspective on your, you know, on your life. Yeah, some peace. Exactly. I remember when I was making a huge life decision, um, in my eyes, I asked, uh, about five elderly individuals on what they would do. And it was so completely what I didn't even think they would say that. Um, it was either um, buying a house or moving and living overseas. And I would think most of them would say, buy a house, you know, do that. And literally all five of them said, go overseas and travel. And I was like, oh, amazing. So I made, I based my decision on that because I was like, they know they've, they've got experience, you know, and they've all own houses. And they're like, Mahela, you can own a house any day, any time, but the experience of what you have, go and do it, you know? So linking, you know, so can, you can imagine individuals in the retirement home who are just willing and bursting to give information out and just talk to someone. <laughs> I love that so much. That's cool that you did that. Yeah, what inspired yeah. you to do that? Um, I don't know. I think it was kind of like getting an idea of other individuals because everyone my age was like, oh, that's just stupid. That's silly. And I was like, oh, I'm going to see what other people who have already lived double, triple my age um, yeah. would say. And yeah, yeah, it was interesting. Wait, I don't so look back people, at it at all. The people your age were saying, stay, don't go or? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Interesting. They were saying, yeah, build, build a house, build, build a bit of build, you know, yeah, like that's what you do in your 20s, 30s, you build, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting as, so uh, Sean, yeah. with shifting, I love that whole concept and I can just imagine the audience listening now being like, wow, I have the potential of shifting my mindset with just something on my phone, an app um, on my phone and being able to shift. Do you see users using it on a daily basis mainly? Do you see users using it uh, here and there Is yeah. it for like a month or two months? What are the stats behind that? Well, we started out with just the app, the personalized mobile app. You come in, you identify where you are and what you need. And we did pilots with this university system. And so, um, and people were on a fairly regular basis during the pilots and we were doing testing and gathering data to make sure that it was working. And then we found, oh, people were coming back, you know, weekly, that kind of thing. But um, what that inspired us to do, because we realized that this works when people do it and they say they love it, but we know that the challenge is doing it when it's hard for you to do it, that what we'll do is we'll start um, emailing the shifts to people so that they can either do it within the email, just read through a shift and control the pace. They don't have the 10 minutes. They do it in three minutes by reading through it, um, or they can open it up on um, 
on online on their computer and listen there just like a podcast or they can click a button and open the app and when we did that the numbers went way up every time we send one roughly 50 percent of the people who are um subscribers are engaging with it on one of those levels they're yeah. doing it in their doing it in their inbox they're doing it on the web or they're doing it in the app um and so mm. the answer sort of depends on which one you're talking about and i've come to think about it just as it's all one thing really it's if you're doing mm. it for yourself really what you want to be thinking about is what gets you to do it so do it in the way that actually will get you to do it and we found the least resistance is you get it in the inbox and people read it and then they return to it i mean you send one on a thursday and people are doing it four times before the next one gets <laughs> to them and so we do that weekly yeah. as a free service and then we also now we're adding video shifts now that we're bringing shift therapists in as a concept we're i'm recording video shifts and sending those out and we're we're starting to see the same data on that so um i love that yeah you know it's, been a it's amazing and sometimes we need a bit of a reminder don't we where it's kind of oh, like yeah. hey it's time to shift a bit because you don't usually i mean it's not part of your habit forming um to do this shift unless it is and then you're just kind of like oh when it pops up you do it or when it or when you look at your phone you see the app and you're like oh i haven't used that for a while unless you build it into your um, daily habits. That's it. That's a hundred percent. I think that is not only the takeaway is that if you make it really easy, obviously people get to do it more. Um, what we found because we sell into organizations that if they tell their employees put, you know, or do it for them, put it on their calendar twice a week, then people do it because it's scheduled in and they're reminded in that moment. So yeah, it is largely the reminder. I think even more than the reminder is having it in front of you. You know, it's one thing to be like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do that and then skip it. <laughs> yeah. But to actually just start is the thing. Yeah, I love that. So going back to shifts, individuals might be like, who can use it? I know you've mentioned anxiety. You've mentioned loneliness. Um, I think you also mentioned pain. Can So people can use this for pain also. Actually, we don't have it for pain yet. I, um, okay. I've written a little bit about that on the blogs. I think it's important kind of to get that very, very right before we start sharing it with people. Mm. It's clear that these sorts of practices, generally speaking, can be really uh, impactful for pain. Um, but at the moment, it is the, the kind of topics that I mentioned. I could sort of scroll through it with you, but it's the mental, mental health type things. It's not mental health diagnoses, but it's the... Um, sadness, the loneliness, the anger. We saw a lot of people anger and then it's sort of specific situations like I'm feeling annoyed with someone or I can't sleep or I need to get ready for the, it's Monday, you know, get ready for Monday or, or <laughs> make the most of my weekend. And then on the other side is the performance um, example. Mm. So, you know, get yourself motivated, get ready for a meeting, those kind of things. Um, but really, you I can either go online Absolutely or go on the app. You can go on the line and just search, you know, the topic that you're interested in or um, in the app. It's it's just a couple taps and it'll serve you up one that's relevant for you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing I'm, my, my so, video is a little bit. Is that tough for you, Mayela? I can pull this. It's, I pull it's this the down? sun. It's the sun yeah. um, in the little hut. <laughs> the sun's going in the little hut. Um, the question that I was going to ask is future i know you're introducing the video part now 
do you, where do you see VR in, in mental health um, and, and the whole concept of VR and mental health? Where do you see that going? Yes, yeah, so I did. I spent three years directing um, psychology for a virtual reality company in in um, in Silicon Valley out here. So I got to spend a lot of time on that and had done the research before on the technology and virtual reality was actually, believe it or not, a really well researched part of technology and psychology back 20 years ago because the military was using it wow. for trying to figure out how to treat PTSD and training purposes. And back then it was very expensive, but the military, of course, could afford it. it. Over time, it got to the point where you can do, you know, VR on your phone with a with a fifty dollar headset, um, or you can, you know, do, do it a little bit more expensively now. But it really, it's it's not cost prohibitive to get into VR. So that's been sort of the change on the technology side. Um, and people, uh, different companies are approaching it really differently for pain. Actually, it's really been shown to be very effective to get into a virtual, um, not, uh, for, for pain that you're having right now. So for procedures that you might go through at hospital, VR can be really helpful, mm -hmm. but I think the future of this is, I, I don't suspect in 15 years, let's say that our experience here will be all that different than a virtual experience. In other words, you put a headset on and you and I will feel like we're in the same room together and you could shift me or I could shift you. And it would be as though we were in a therapy session live, very close probably. And for people who grow up in that environment, it will be probably exactly the same because they're so acclimated to experiencing that. Um, it's it's always been tough to know when that will happen, um, but I'll tell you that when I was researching this, I did all of my graduate school research on this 20 plus years ago, and at the time I thought, oh, that's not going to work. You know, you can't, you can't, you need to be present with someone in order to have that experience. And so that was what just was the the state of knowledge and belief at the time. But what we've seen over time is people have really adopted this video therapy, telephone therapy, telephone coaching, having real impacts. Um, there are certain conditions and situations where you wouldn't do it, that's for sure. But I think um, there's when the technology is to the point where it feels like you and I are together, then you're going to probably see it really mirror the, all the other ways that we use psychology. Yeah. What a positive um, view and outlook for using VR <laughs> yeah. and technology for mental health. Um, absolutely love that. And you even saying, you know, the defense forces used it 20 years ago uh, also to assist with people with PTSD and training and so forth. And they probably did their own little shifts without even calling it a shift. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the, the yeah. research is very much historically around anxiety and anxiety based disorders like PTSD. Um, and that when you treat anxiety, you treat it in a pretty sequential way at, traditionally in psychotherapy. And so those ways of treating things that are very sequential are really a nice fit for technologies like virtual reality at the moment. In the future, if you feel like you're really there with someone and it's not a prefabricated experience, 
then I think that probably is more what the future looks like. But right now, even, you know, there's a specialist here who I'm close with who uses virtual reality to treat people who have um, driving phobia. And so the phobias, the anxieties can be very effective for because you can model the experiences that provoke the anxiety in virtual reality better than you can in this kind of environment. You can give that experience more closely. Um, and over time, that's only going to get more. Um, I think that that effect will get stronger. Yeah, and that's amazing. And then potentially, finally, someone getting someone behind the wheel after so many years. Yeah. Like, wow, what an achievement! Or even you know, on, on a plane, on a boat, out of the house. Uh, even individuals after COVID, uh, individuals haven't gone out of the house because of the fear and anxiety. So using this type of technology to get people to um, increase their life quality would be amazing. Yes, yes. My um, When I actually used that, those tools, virtual reality, I treated someone who had a fear of flying. And it was an achievement for the first time he got on a plane in years and um, had a reported afterwards that he had a fine experience with it. And it's really uh, gratifying. Yeah, when you can see someone shift from n thinking they can't do, do something and so they don't do it to approaching it sort of slowly and then realizing, oh, mm. my emotional relationship to this thing has changed and and just taking that next step in their life that they feel like they couldn't take it i love that so next time i'm on a plane i'm definitely going to download some shifts <laughs> they, <laughs> nice. they have them on the planes now i see different meditations yeah. Uh, but yeah we'll get the shifts yeah yeah, that, that, that's amazing. And I can just imagine the audience being like, oh, wow, next time they have anxiety or depression or feel a bit out of it, they can just jump on the phone, uh, shift in five minutes and off they go. Their day has taken a turn yeah. uh, compared to what it would have been like in bed or not being able to get out. And they're often doing what they want to do and allowing people to achieve and live the life that they deserve. I love that. I absolutely oh, love that, Sean. Thank you for saying that. That's so nice. Yeah, that app that you're referring to, just in case people do want to get to it, is called One Perfect Shift. Um, and you go to oneperfect.com and kind of get everything that you need there. But that would be a wonderful thing. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking to a friend, a psychologist friend this weekend while we were having dinner and we were just reflecting on this idea that it is one of the wonderful professions, these helping professions, when you get to hear stories like that and you get to have, uh, you know, people thank you and tell you how, how helpful the time you spent was. And that, um, you know, that concept plays very much into this become a shift therapist. So if anyone wants to become a shift therapist, you can get trained for it. Just go to oneperfect.com and follow the links and you can have that experience that I'm talking about, which is incredibly gratifying. And in this particular case, it's like doesn't take that much time, right? You can have a real job and shift four people a week and that's what 20 minutes of your time or 30 minutes of your time, but you're really like contributing now. I love that. And I'll put all the details in the show notes to, um, so people know how to contact, um, how to become a shift therapist or even use shift themselves. Um, if you could give individuals some practical tips to the audience that's listening, how to incorporate, um, shifting into a better state of mind at any time, what would be some practical tips that you would give Sean? Practical tips. I would say the most valuable things I've learned are, 
for me, I mentioned doing it overnight. So if you do have that issue of waking up in the middle of the night with any anxiety, use that as a trigger because it's really easy to remember because it's, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's a pretty real experience when you're having it. Oh, if you don't have that, then the best thing that I've learned is do it first thing in the morning. You know, that way, if you um, start your day with the shift, whatever really works for you. For me, like, I love this process of shifting, but it could be a meditation. It's whatever brings you into presence at the beginning of your day that works as a um, routine. Then that has such, it pays you such dividends over the course of your day if you can just get yourself to do it at the beginning of the day. So, and when it comes to practical tips, just one or two, I think is the most helpful for people. So you can remember it. Those are the ones I would focus on. Either if you have sleep issues, do it at night. If you, um, and if you do, or you don't first thing in the morning, try to make that habit, tie it into whatever it is you do, cup of tea, cup of coffee. And, and since like it's that. on your Stack phone. Stack that habit with another habit. <laughs> oh, sorry, Mila. No, I was saying stack that habit with another habit, like you said, yeah. if it's a cup of tea. And yeah. Do you do some, some mindfulness work yourself? I do indeed. I um, shouldn't say I, work, I, by I, the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I myself have struggled a lot to calm because I'm always go, go, go. And I love being go, go, go. So therefore, I have changed a mindset about how I see breathwork and meditation. I see breathwork and meditation to allow me to focus so I can achieve more instead of calming me. It's more the focus and calming, calming the nervous system so I'm able to achieve uh, what's placed upon yeah. me. But also I'm able to think differently and things come at, in, in the shower or when I'm meditating or doing breath work, there's uh, thoughts that come up that usually wouldn't come up. So giving space for my brain to just be without anything in it. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I, I just saw, again, new research that reflects that, which was that taking breaks is increasing productivity. It's like because of what you said, all of this work is happening in the background. You get these ideas if you just give yourself the permission to take the 10 minutes when you're feeling stressed, which is you know related to a shift. But that's even even just a break can be so helpful. A hundred percent. Sean, do you, do you do shifts every day? What does your, um, kind of, what does your day look like with breath work or meditation or shifts? Yeah. Yeah. I do do it. Um, I used to do it when I had a full psychology practice before every session as a way to get into presence so that I could be present for someone else. Now I, for example, did it right before we came on together. So I do it anytime that I want to remind myself to come in sort of a deepened state of presence for something. So those are sort of the ad hoc during the days. Then another ad hoc is anytime anxiety crops up, I'll do it. For me, it's become something where you know, we talk about it as five to 10 minutes. And I think that's a great thing to get in the habit of doing as a lifestyle. But when you start doing it, as I'm sure what you just said reflects also, just taking a long, deep breath if you're doing it consistently, just doing that has an even deeper effect of bringing you into calm because you've learned your body has learned what that state feels like. So it becomes so much more natural to embody it when you want to. So I, I answer this question probably a little bit out of order because the standard that I will do is the two things that I talked about that I gave as suggestions overnight. If I wake up for sure, I'm doing it and it used to yeah. be, you know, not a great time overnight. 
Um, but then it became now when I wake up, no exaggeration. It's like a shot of joy that I have the next five to 10 minutes to like chill. And I know, you know, if, if I'm not back to sleep after this shift, I'm going to be just chilling with a body buzz, feeling present and, and, um, appreciating and being awed by life. So, and that's a, trust me, a major change from what it was. So that's that, and um, and as a result, it turns out I don't have to do that overnight <laughs> nearly as much. But now, yeah, first thing every day is my is my mantra. I need to do at least do my shift. Matter of fact, I'm right yeah. across here on the wall is the original shift. It's a poster that I made from as a summary of a book that I wrote, and it's 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 it was a shift before we started shifting really, and it's all about just a little poem to walk walk myself through listening to life and coming into the present moment and all the different ways of doing that, that, um, are powerful and, and have been so helpful, uh, to me. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely beautiful. And knowing that, uh, the work that you are doing is allowing individuals to be present and to just be, and essentially has a flow and effect to everything that's happening in their life. So Sean, I really, really do appreciate your time on the Natural Health Podcast. I appreciate you taking this time out and sharing um, your work, which is absolutely amazing. And hopefully more people will jump onto shifting. Thank you so much, Mahela. It was really nice to talk to you. Appreciate the time and the uh, opportunity to talk with you and your audience a little bit. Yeah. If anyone wants to become a shift therapist, come come visit us and we'll uh, we'll meet you. And we're I'm going to think even more about that idea that you were talking about getting <laughs> the elderly involved. Let's not even call it elderly. Amazing. We're talking about, you know, someone who's just done their their first work life, let's say. That's it. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much, Sean. And thank you for joining us on our Tribe podcast. And remember the missing link between failure and success is your health. Content and information provided here is opinion of Mahela Raguse and is for information purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. It is not intended to provide medical advice or take the place of medical advice or any current treatment you're undertaking. Consult your own medical professionals for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the Natural Health Podcast. It is advised that you consult your doctor or healthcare professional in relation to any health concerns you may be having. Mahela Raguse does not take responsibility for any health consequences which occur from a person listening, viewing, or reading this content. And in the Circumstances Sheldon Natural Podcast, Mahela Raguse, any guests or contributors to the Natural Podcast, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of Mahela Raguse be responsible for damages arising from the information provided on the Natural Podcast. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical conditions in either yourself or others. Please note if you're taking prescription, do not stop your medication or start a new protocol, including but not limited to supplements diet, lifestyle changes without consulting a doctor or healthcare professional. If you or any person has a medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider or seek other professional medical advice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something that you have read or heard on the Natural Podcast or in any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. Neither Mahela Raguz nor the publisher of this contact takes responsibility for the possible health consequences of any person or persons reading or listening or following the information in educational content.